0: I can't wait to do that. So I want to talk today about walking in your destiny. I think that when we think of our destiny, we think about a lot of things. One of the things that I think about a lot is spiritual gifts. Uh, what kind of gifts I have, you know, who who am I in that way, uh, what am I gifted at? And we, we talk a lot about that as well. But what I think we don't do enough is talk about our life experiences. Because our life experiences, our ups and our downs, they shape us a lot. They shape our destiny a lot. Life situations are huge. Positions of authority God puts us in, uh, uh, things that we lose, (laughs) positions of authority we lose and then find again. Uh, All of this stuff goes in the Bible to shape a person's destiny. Uh, Sudden loss of a loved one, uh, these things uh, many many things shape our destiny. so if we talk about spiritual gifts and uh, there's lots of gift lists and all that I think that's there's some action there but I think a lot of the action that we miss is this what about who I am as a person what about the things that shape me Maybe I went through a divorce maybe i've I've had uh, you know a, a great uh, house and I, I lost it through some sort of uh, you know tragedy uh, maybe there's you know we have all these things and they 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 shape us. They they cause us to uh, sometimes lose hope, and sometimes uh, they cause us because of the testimony they are to uh, walk in a, a way that we never thought. Uh, they push us directions that we never thought we would go. We do do things uh, for people we never thought we'd be doing. You know, uh, we never thought that we would be involved in a certain area, but because we went through it, we start getting involved. You know, as we read the scriptures, we become very aware. That there are distinct destinies, assignments, and gifts uniquely assigned to each of us to give away to the world around us. I like I like that destinies, assignments, and gifts uniquely assigned to us, uh, to each of us to give away to the world around us. Now, one great passage on this, uh, and it kind of leans toward the spiritual gift area, is First Peter 4:10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So. That suggests that whatever we get to God, from God, uh, it needs to be used to serve others. And if it's not serving others, we need to find a way to make it serve others. We need to give room for that in our life, right? So each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And there's so many different forms, right? I like, I'm looking at Lynn right there, and I just, uh, Lynn, why don't you wave your hand at us right there, and. She's uh, been involved with our children's ministry for years and years and years, and then she's she's still doing that, but she actually shifted a little bit, and now she's teaching uh, in a class in our new school. And I go by that class, Lynn, and I watch you. Sometimes I just peek around the corner, and I look at all those little kids and what you're doing. It brings tears to my eyes because you're such a good teacher, and I know my grandson's in there right now, and uh, I'm just so proud of what you do there. It's like... Uh, you're in your element. You you just got it. You got you just are really good at it. And it's I think God smiles on it. And that impartation you're giving those kids and those love you give to those kids, man, I tell you I would, I would I, I'm so glad that my grandson's experiencing that. And I'd want my children to experience it. And that's one reason why uh, we're we're getting deeper and deeper into education here. Uh, we just made a shift uh, in, in and in response to our culture and also response to the Lord, and the Lord put everything together, and my goodness, uh, we, we have 130 kids uh, that are signed up for next fall, and uh, lists uh, wait lists of 15 and 20 in each class almost, except for the higher grades. So anyway, but God's gift in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do with so with the strength God provides. I, I so... We have a number of people that do that with their strength. And I am so glad. And they've been doing it for years and years and years. One of them is Chuck Edmund that was up here. And many others that uh, work uh, around here tirelessly. Just, uh, It just amazes me how they volunteer and how they do that thing with their time. and even. Their, uh, and it says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So when you do that, uh, Your God's praise when you f- fulfill something, a ministry, something that He's called you to, something that you do uh, for the Lord. Uh, the m- most important thing is God gets praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever, Amen. So, um, men and women of the Bible had unique callings in the redemptive plan of God. But if you look through these characters in the Bible, I love to read about the characters in the Bible, don't you? I just love to go through them. Some of them are quite hilarious. Some of them are just unbelievable, shocking, you know. How does Joseph end up sold into slavery and basically the king of the world? (laughs) I mean, after being lied about, spent time in a dungeon, cheated, everything, these pathways that God takes us on, it's so important for us to study and see. Maybe someone here feels like they're in a dungeon. Well, these stories aren't just there for, wow, that was a cool historical event, (laughs) They're there for us to realize that God can take you out of the dungeon at any moment, and then from that, dun- from that moment when he takes you out, you begin to do amazing things. For people, you get ideas and wisdom, and you are uniquely equipped, right? So these men and women of the Bible have unique callings in the redemptive plan of God accompanied by weaknesses and strengths, victories and defeats. And this is the story as you look down through the, the Bible of the patriarchs. What's Abraham giving his wife away to those kings all about? (laughs) For the same time, God tells him to sacrifice his son, and he's willing to do that. What's that all about? (laughs) I mean, it's all out there for everybody to read. Now for centuries, right? Weaknesses and strengths, victories and defeats. This is the story of the patriarchs, prophets, kings, apostles even. And this is our story. David, David, David my goodness what a guy and then he messes up you know and I'll be darned if his king does if his son the one he messed up with doesn't take over and become the greatest king of all or at least financially the greatest king of all right and david was probably the greatest king how how does this happen as we consider the examples of god's servants their lives like ours are full of paradoxes and contradictions lots and lots of detours, like Daniel in exile and Joseph and all the rest of the characters, and of course the New Testament characters. Can I just say that? I just want to pause and say that for a moment. Sometimes when we think of destiny, walking our destiny, we're always thinking of this positive thing, you know, but the truth of the matter is, it's not a line upon line thing. It's not A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. I mean, that's nice if you could try to plan your career and it works out like that. I've seen a lot of people try to plan their career and it never worked out like that. Matter of fact, most of the people I know that have ever tried to plan a career didn't it work out like A, B, C, D. Maybe A, F, B, C, H, O, R. And then a few other letters thrown in there that are really, really better than they even concede. That's what I like, right? And so that's really important as we take a look at destiny. It's not orderly. In fact, our greatest failures and sorrows often become the keys to our greatest successes. Jacob steals Esau's birthright. <laughs> that wasn't nice. And he wants to kill him, so Jacob ends up in another land, ends up bringing back some wives and stuff, and they're still at it until finally God settles the matter, but he becomes this incredible patriarch in the full line succession from Abraham, Abraham on down and the 12 tribes. We get that from him. Jacob swiped somebody's birthright and now he's the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel. How does that happen? Right? So clearly God is the one that changes our times and our season. It's important to understand this. Uh, and so sometimes when we think about the way our lives are developed, we are too even about it. We're not thinking about what has happened to us and and even the bad things. We want to forget and flush down the toilet, but those bad things actually lead us to many good things. God doesn't waste anything. Don't waste your sorrows. Here's the most amazing thing about a believer, and God causes all things to work together for good for them to love the Lord and call according to His purpose. All things to work together for good, and we just examine things that aren't good. There's some things that really haven't been very good. in our lives, some really traumatic things, but they shape us. I like to think about the Apostle Peter in this regard. How about you guys? <laughs> uh, what a character he was, right? He's one of the first apostles uh, chosen by Jesus. We read about that in Matthew chapter 4. In uh, fact, I want to just read it. It's sort of cool to just read about his life, and and uh, we're going to concentrate him, on him and some of the apostles for a moment. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Do you think they were thinking about being apostles? (laughs) No, they were thinking about fish. Their cats and net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. What a transition there. They're fishing one day, and now... They're joining Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now I'm sure there was some preamble to this, some sort of association or general awareness of Jesus, but still they're fishing, and he says, Leave, come follow me. Boom, there we go. And evidently the father is okay with that, at least Zebedee and and so on, and there they go. And he's one of three disciples, uh, Peter was, chosen by Jesus to witness the Transfiguration. Can you imagine the transfiguration? Moses and Elijah? there's these three guys on the top of this mountain, and they hear God Almighty, the Father speaking out of heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to them. I think they need a little encouragement, a little overwhelmed. Would you just please listen to him? you know? I mean, wow. I don't think it gets a little bit. I don't think it gets more dramatic than that, does it? Jesus told Peter in a play on words. He says, "On this rock." Now, what does Peter mean? What's the name mean? It means rock. So, on this rock, I will build my church. And you could say, certainly, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. He built. That's the rock, uh, the formal theological rock, but. He's also talking about Peter. matter of fact, the entire Catholic Church believes that, right? On this rock, Peter, the, the first one. You know, you go into the Vatican and you see this long list. And Peter's, I mean, Peter's at the top of all these popes through the years. On this rock I will build my church and will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is Peter we're talking about. And um, so I want to read some verses, Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to Caesarea, the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Now, here, Peter, just he pipes up. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of... Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. That's an amazing. Pretty good for a fisherman. And on top of that, Peter is this swing person. He's the one that's used by God to open the gospel to the Gentiles. Those Jewish guys following Jesus and all that was going on, they had not a clue that this was in the cards, this was going to happen. But Peter, he's the guy. You know, some guy comes and says, Yeah, I'm from, from Caesarea. And he says, You know, I had this vision, and an angel told me to come and get you. And Peter goes, and there he is, and he's preaching the gospel. He wasn't even supposed to go into this place because it was Gentiles. He wasn't even supposed to go in the house. He goes right into the house and defiles himself according to Jewish law. And he preaches the gospel, and to his utter amazement, while he's preaching, they all start speaking in tongues. And it's the only way he could know for sure that actually they belonged in the kingdom. And we told all of the rest of the guys that this is this is what happened. They go, I can't believe it. The Gentiles are in. So Peter the Rock, he's even used as the doorway for the Gentiles for us to be aware that most of us here in this room belong in this amazing kingdom, this amazing authority, this amazing uh, new thing that God was doing on the earth. This same Peter, along with the other disciples, heard Jesus say these words. They're all sitting there, and he says this, just before he died. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Now, I could just imagine what's going through their mind at that moment. Because their whole thing, this whole time that he's with them, they're thinking, hey, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to be the king, and we're going to be 12 regents, and we're going to rule over this nation, and our nation's going to rule over all the nations, and this is going to happen right away. And I am sure when that happened, man, they're thinking, hot dog, finally you're talking now. Finally we understand. We're going to be over all the tribes It's going to be great. No more Pharisee problems. No more nothing, right? (laughs) Immediately after we read of this, we we read of the failure and desertion of the disciples. Just a few hours later, Peter himself, this rock, denied the Lord three times, which he insisted he would never do. But Jesus told him he was going to do it. But in one little se- sentence, Jesus tells Peter what he really has in mind for him. He says in verse 32, he's going to do all this, but when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So you see, in this destiny, God has these plans for us, these failures in our weaknesses, in our experiences. God shapes them into something that's beautiful, something that's wonder. You, you would never think that Peter would be disqualified What a strange way to enter your destiny. But the grace of God is more radical than maybe we've imagined. And I think that's what we need to account for and understand our lives. The amazing grace of God in our marriages, in our families, in our worst defeats, in that space is glory. Because it's from that place of weakness that we learn to relate to the rest of the world. From that place of weakness that we learn about God's strength, we learn about God's mercy, we learn about God, period. We learn about that part of God that we could not get any other way. In Jesus' third appearance to Peter and the disciples after the resurrection, we find three keys to walking in destinies and ministries and so uh, that God has for each of us. And I'm going to go to John chapter 21. I was reading through this the other day, and it's, It's a fascinating thing. So Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples twice. And he says here that he now is the the third time. And I want to just read the first uh, uh, three verses here. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Thank God Thomas got to be there that time. (laughs) Nathanael from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, "Who are you?" <laughs> they knew it was the Lord. It's interesting these experiences with the Lord. You know, uh, you know, when someone's out of place, have you ever noticed that? You know, this happened to me one time. It was the tra- strangest thing. So we have uh, my son has Amanda was up here singing. Her parents, right? Uh, so she, so we went to Switzerland. And I was on a ministry trip and we went to this and Martin says, hey, let's all go to this really weird place. It's this cheese factory place, you know, in the middle of no, I don't even remember the city. It was just cheese factory and it was a crazy factory and it was interesting and everything. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I didn't even know we were going to be there. And I walked down the stairs and I'm walking down and there's Amanda's parents at the bottom of the stairs. And I, I had to go. I, I had, to, uh, you know, my eyes, and I turned away, and I looked again, and then I still couldn't believe it. It's, oh, who is that? That's that's the. What are they doing here? What am I doing? What are we both doing here? That's amazing, right? <laughs> <coughs> and so I think these disciples were having the same problem here. You know, <laughs> what what are you doing here? <laughs> And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And, they're, and they're, you can imagine they're, they're, they're all having, and much less him saying, "Hey, let's have some breakfast, guys!" And they're all having breakfast, you know. <laughs> None of the disciples dared ask him, "Who are you?" They, they, they knew it was the Lord, but you can imagine what they're going through. I, I knew it was my, you know, in-laws, but I John's in-laws, but like, it's hard, right? They weren't expecting it. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's getting a little hurt now. He he's hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, "Do you love me?" He said, "Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you." Jesus said, "Well, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go." Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, "Follow me." Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now as we know in history, uh, Peter was crucified actually upside down in Rome, and so he literally was. This literally came to pass. So Peter he turns and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, you know, and uh, you know he. Did, it's not such a great word he's getting now. You he know, it's pretty good while he's feeding everybody and doing all this, you know. But now, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, "Lord, who is going to betray you?" When Peter saw him, he asked, "Lord, what? What about this guy? Well, what?" What's going to happen to him? <laughs> I mean, Peter's not exactly the like perfect guy here. You know what I mean? He's still rough. He's still not getting with the program completely, right? If I want him, to <laughs> Jesus says curtly, "If I want him to remain alive till I return, what's that to you?" <laughs> this is God talking. You follow me? <laughs> because of this, the rumor spread among the believers, but this the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Well, as I look at these verses, there's some things here, I think, that are very helpful for us to understand our destiny, understanding where God wants to take us. The first thing is, <clears throat> we just need to respond and receive the gift of forgiveness for our failures. We need to get over the things we messed up. We need to get over things weren't so great in our past and let the forgiving grace of God go through and around them and heal them and and turn them into something uh, wonderful. We can say that the source of walking our destiny is receiving love and acceptance in the deepest failures and trials of our lives. Because you see, in this place... We're permanently tenderized. And we have a tendency in those places and from those places to give compassion to those around us. And by the way, this is one of the key issues with regard to our destiny, learning how to love, learning how to be loved by God in the midst of it, and then learning to take that love that we've been given, the forgiveness we've received, and release it to others. Evidently, this is sort of high up on God's priority list when we think about our destiny. Whatever else you think about your destiny, I think he would like you in the end to be someone that actually loves people, all kinds of people. Actually, a person that's not bound up, not proud, not arrogant, not severe, so severely wounded, but a person that now is able to give away things. Don't waste your sorrows, they're part of your destiny. People waste so much with regard to shame. Matter of fact, part of your healing process is to move past the shame and start giving what you're getting from God away. We love because He first loved us. Maybe you've had marriage trouble, problems. Don't let it shame you. Let God love you into it and all your mistakes. Love one another. And then use that experience to help other people along. We love because He first loved us. So it's so important that we learn to be good receivers of God's tenderness, God's love. It's absolutely critical. And it's interesting. Peter, he's telling them, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But here's the reason. Look at verse 32. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The question is, when you've turned back, Many of you have turned back from horrible things. Are you strengthening your brothers and sisters? Are you using that as part of your destiny? Oh, no, no, that's not part of my destiny. I don't like that part of my life. No. Like I said, you may be gifted at various things, but that's part of you. Yeah, I don't like that part. Well, did God come and have mercy on you in that part? Did He forgive you through that part? Did He heal you? Is He helping you? Yes, absolutely. Matter of fact, as you learn to give away What you've been given in the midst of your greatest failures, God heals you even more of them. That's the key to healing. That's worth the price of admission right there. Don't wait for you to get into this super space where I'm perfectly healed. I'm God's poster boy, God's poster girl of how it is to recover from a divorce or how it is to recover from a disease. Don't wait. Even while you're in the midst of it, maybe you're halfway through it or three-fourths through it. Use that. It's a springboard. Don't waste your sorrows. Don't waste that. Let the mercy of God come on you and then start giving it away as fast as you possibly can. It's very, very powerful. And by the way, with regard to marriages, I know that sounds like, wow, that probably wouldn't be in the curriculum, but I just say, whatever healing you're getting while you're going through a marriage issue, uh, and I'm just picking out of one thing, maybe it's some other issue that you're in. Maybe you're not quite healed of something. Maybe you're not quite this from something. Maybe you haven't quite got that job you're looking for. Maybe whatever it is, start giving things away, the grace you've been given right away because that is part of your story. That's part of the package. And so we like to think of all the positive, strong things God's done for us and make these testimonies, but actually our best testimonies are probably the ones that we've been loved through, the things that we made the worst mistakes. This wasn't exactly a little mistake. Denying Jesus Christ three times... (laughs) And as we can see from this story, he's still not exactly like probably what he ended up, right? He's still a little rough around the edges. But isn't it amazing that God would use a person like that? On this rock, I'm going to build my church? you got to be kidding. So there's lots of rocks out there. <laughs> right here, I'm looking at them. I think the reason why we're not more effective in the world is we let our... Uh, our, our pain, and we let our sorrows, we let, let our disqualifications ruin us instead of as a stepping stone to actually helping people. After you've turned, strengthen your brothers. He's prophesying, you're going to fail. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and after you do, strengthen your brothers. Both those parts are critical for your destiny. It's all part of the reason why you're here. Well, I didn't want to. I I should not know. Yeah, I know. But you did. Why? How? I wouldn't even try to think about too deep. (laughs) I'm sure there's lots of reasons. We might get to the bottom of it and that might help you ultimately in your healing. But in the meantime, look, I'm forgiven. I'm loved by God. You can be too. And that's the greatest thing we can give to a person sometimes. It's part of our destiny. If you want to know what your destiny is, Learn to testify out of your weakness because I guarantee you that's one reason why it's in place in the first place. Second thing, keys to walking the destinies and ministries God has for us. First is, like I said, to receive, respond to would be a better word, the free gift of forgiveness. Fully. Second thing, we can say that our weaknesses don't disqualify us; they qualify us to walk in our calling. We find ourselves permanently stamped by love in those places, and find that God's power is released in our weakness. Let me read from Second Corinthians chapter uh, twelve, uh, verses six to ten, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. It's not just the sense that you're forgiven, but it's also something else. <clears throat> it's it's the 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 uh, love of God, it's the, the sense of um, uh, where this takes me into my uh, future. I'll read it from 2 Corinthians 12 to give you a better idea. Even, I should bo- if I, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited... For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that last phrase is the key thing, that when I am weak, then I am strong. We wait to be strong when we're strong. But God's way is, when I'm weak, I see that as an opportunity for the manifest God to work through me more powerfully, right? When I'm weak, not when I get all qualified. We think our destiny is all tied up in when I get all qualified, right? We get all, all, all ready to go here. And it, it's so important. Um, Paul thought about this. He, 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 his, his, it's amazing. Even in his um, apostleship, you know, he, he, learned to, uh, he learned when he was getting beaten or there was something wrong here, he, he learned to worship. He learned to take advantage of the situation. He learned to turn the tables. Remember when he's in Philippi and he has that horrible thing happen to him, right, in the jail? And he starts worshiping his head off, right? and the jails, the things fall off of him? You know, you could play that one of two ways, right? You, you could play it like, wow, I'm in jail, and I'm suffering for Jesus. God, just get me through this. He's not doing that. Matter of fact, he, he learned to delight in his weakness because he saw that when he did that, there was power on the other side of it. He learned that it wasn't that till I get the music just right, and I feel just right, and here I am, and now we're going to go. It was like, I feel horrible. I feel terrible. This sucks. Oh, it's time for ministry. (laughs) That's how he saw it. So I I thank God, you know, in my weaknesses, man, this, this is. Oh, here we go again. I'm in jail. This is a great opportunity for God. I I wonder, hey, Silas, how do you think he's going to get us out of this one? This is amazing. We're in jail, chained to the ground, you know. Well, let's start worshiping. Okay. So they start singing, and all of a sudden the jail cell fills with the presence of God. The bonds break off, and there's a Philippi- Philippian jail- jailer, and I almost said Filipino jailer, Philippian jailer, and he takes the, he's taking this thing, he's going to run himself through with his saying, no, stop, stop, you know. We're all here. We're not going to escape, you know. And then we see the church of Philippi. Born. How does the church of Philippi get born through a thing like this? You know how we we think, okay, we get the tent out and get all the chairs just right. Oh, the sound system, dial it real in, you know, okay. Let's get some, oh man, I don't have any music. How am I going to win Philippi without the music? Get the music. Is there any music? Oh man, that's a bad music. Could you get anybody better than that? I mean, the sound system, oh, this is horrible. I can't believe it. Okay, well, we'll try or do our best to win Philippi. No. He does it. Oh, yeah, man, I'm in jail. I came here to lead people. Oh, oh! what a great opportunity. Here we go, Silas. That's how he thought about things. But this stamped by love is another thing. When you're in there, you, you get love, and God's love comes on you. you. You become different in that space. I just think that, and I know this is easier said than done, but when we get in a difficult place, we should assume that supernatural love is not far behind. And I tell you what, uh, we talk about this a lot, but this supernatural love that God gives, along with His forgiveness, but the love is the thing that God gives in the midst of hardship is one of the most treasured things we can give to shape our destiny and those around us, right? And that's what Paul felt. He he was aware of this love. The weakness doesn't disqualify us. They qualify us to walk in our kind. Of, we're, we're stamped by love. You know, I, I know a number of you, and I'm looking at your face, and... Some of you uh, came through such horrendous times and got delivered. And, uh, and some of you are in bad times and you're being delivered. But one thing I've noticed is many, many times through my ministry is the um, love on you. Just the, uh, I know you're going through and I see it, but you're a lover. And whenever you see anybody weak, even when you're weak, you go over there and give them a hug. And could I just encourage anybody that's going through that, uh, out of your weakness, learn to take whatever God gives you and give it away to somebody else. It's all a part of this. Uh, you know, who would think that our destiny would be tied up in these stinky things? But we have to learn to think right. As we receive love, we give it away. And even before you receive a final conclusion to the matter, you know, don't wait till you get to the final conclusion of it. Start witnessing why you're in it. That's one of the most powerful things. You know, you're praying for somebody in the hospital cancer, and you have cancer yourself. This is where destiny comes in, this is where things get the furniture starts moving around because there's tremendous faith here. And uh, I just think that uh, there's this key to uh, learning to, uh, as we see here, to receive this gift of uh, forgiveness and kindness and the love of God is powerful. So key number two fulfilling your destiny is feed my lambs. All ministry and calling revolve around taking care of other people. If you think about your calling, it's going to go down to basically the bottom line is it's going to involve someone that you bless, you know, someone that we're supposed to uh, uh, feed. It comes down right, right to that if you, you read through these verses, you know. You know, John uh, 21, uh, 15, just going back. Uh, and I just want to read a couple of these verses. So, what I'm trying to say is your destiny is people oriented, it's about people. It's about other people, right? And you could say lots of things and maybe it's more of a uh, teaching thing or maybe it's other things. Maybe you're a craftsman. Maybe there's other things. But in the end, still, whatever you're doing, think about it as, this is about people. Whatever I'm supposed to do as my destiny, it's supposed to affect people, right? So when they had finished eating, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, uh, do you love me more than these? Yes, I love you, Lord," he said. "You know that I love you. Feed my lambs." Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he was asked him the third time, "Do you love me?" He said, "Lord, you know that I, I love you. Feed my sheep." He's given him his destiny in another form. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. That's all of our job description. And maybe some of us we don't feel. You know, I always think of this as, well, oh, yeah, I can see you or this person or that person. They're speaking, and praying. They have this reputation. They're a great musician, whatever. Ah, you missed it. Everyone's destiny revolves around you. you. want to find your destiny? It's how you take care of people. Find a way to take care of people, your own children, friends around you. But in the end, where you're going to find your destiny is in Uh, other people. All ministries revolves around feeding people. That's why he says it three times. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You love me? Tend my lambs. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He wasn't trying to to make an issue of whether Peter loved him. Peter's hearing that. He's getting rejected over the whole thing. He's not trying to do that. He's just saying, hey, I'm going to be gone soon. You're going to have to turn and strengthen your brothers. Feed my people. Make sure that's the focus. Take care of people, right? It's, It's so... Uh, incredibly important, I think. And, uh, and then along with that, we know just from Matthew chapter 10, I don't know why God limits himself to this. I, I, I don't understand uh, how he, why he would do this, but he just delights in doing this. Listen to this. So he sends the 12 out with instructions. He says, as you go, proclaim this message, verse 7 of Matthew 10, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely. You have received a freely give. So, we're the people that do that. I'm sending you out. Oh, but those were apostles. Well, okay. Well, how many times do we have to learn from our Bible reading and everything? Okay, I get it. These guys were apostles. I get it. They healed the sick. I I understand that. How many times in my Christian walk? How many years? 40, 50 years? I'm still reading the same scripture. Yes, I get it. I learned it in the first year. I learned it in the third year. I learned it in the fifth year. Yeah, these guys healed people. Yes, these guys were sent out. Yes, it was amazing that God would use these people. I got it. But somewhere or another, we have to translate that into our time and go, Okay, those guys are now us guys, gals, right? (laughs) So this is what we do. Part of our destiny is we heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely or receive. Freely get. So we have to fully understand that. That's part of our heritage. So, oh no, that's Kent's heritage. He does these healing rooms for understand, you know, and he's and he's got a couple of guys with him that got healing in order. Yes, yes, okay. There may be some people that have more healing, see more healings than the average person, but it's all our job. By the way, like wonder if someone raises up, that's a Really difficult thing, Catherine Kuhlman or anyone you know as a healer. But w- wait a minute, like it's hard. I mean, even if she stuffs like 5,000 room people in auto term, or 10,000, there's still millions and millions of people around there. They're in your office. They're never going to go to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting, or whoever it is that um, you know is healing right now. They're not going to go. They're right there. There you are. Pray for them. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those of the leprosy. Part of your destiny is you're a living, active, walking. Jesus with these kind of anointings. You drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. No, 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 that was all about those guys. They freely received. No, 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 no. That's the whole point. These guys are modeling something that the church is supposed to be now. Right? Freely received, freely give. That's what we do. And, of course, go therefore. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations. Right? Therefore, go and make disciples all nations, days them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, of the Holy, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always in the age. Yeah, now you're talking, okay, I think I could do that. Well, have you thought about this for a moment? Part of the original thing that they gave the apostles was when they went out, they had both guns loaded. <laughs> they said, hey, you, blind person, come over here. Heals them. Whoa. And everybody looks at that go, goes, hey, I want to be saved. <laughs> right? Why would that not be us? So part of our destiny is, is understanding that we're supposed to feed our lambs but we can feed them in a supernatural way all ministry and calling revolves around feeding them a part of the feeding process is not just giving a special word of counsel or a special scripture but all the whole thing where little Jesus is walking around that's part of your destiny as a person as a person of God so whatever we're doing in our church in terms of healing meetings or whatever what we always try to do is we're trying to teach and equip inspire we're all involved everybody plays even that could be a mantra that nobody listens to. You say, oh, we're the vineyard. Everybody plays, and then nobody plays. And nobody pays attention, right? Just a couple of people that seem to be anointed, we pay attention to them. We always do that. But actually... The most important thing is where all the life is, is that we all pay attention to what all of us can do. We try to get all of us involved because we're not going to be, all of us, and even the church is not going to be in that office you work at, on the beach that you're at, on that vacation where you're at. You're not, where's the church? Where's the pastor? I'm it. That's my destiny. I ran across this person because it's me and them, and I bring this. And even if you didn't get a healing, maybe you're in despair. Maybe you've, Trying to deal with something that happened, you were prayed for your uh, your mother, your father, or some situation that didn't work out very well. You're still on because you received something. God talked talk to you. God's dealing with you, and whatever you're getting from God, your destiny is to give that to somebody else who had a horrible disappointment too. Things didn't work out. As a matter of fact, near as I can tell, as we work with the world, sometimes like even our victories they can't even relate to, but they can sure relate to our failures, and they and and, and they ask you, well, well, how did you do it? Well. God, help me. He spoke to me. He healed me. Sometimes our crushing defeats are the best things because in it we found Jesus and other people can find Jesus too. And they come to the Lord through it. They get healed through it. Don't waste your sorrows. Some of your worst sorrows and defeats, some of the things that have happened, you know, <clears throat> our weaknesses don't disqualify us. They actually qualify us for destiny. Matter of fact, most of you got your best testimony because of the worst horrible things that have happened. They don't disqualify you. So, if we look at this key number two, three keys to walk in our destinies and ministries. One is this uh, uh, receiving love and acceptance in the deepest failures and trials of our lives and this tenderness and we, to compassion we get in. And second is we, we don't let our weaknesses qualify us. They qual, qual, qualify us to walk in our, our calling. And, we're, and, and, and we fulfill our destiny by feeding lambs and all of it has to do with people. All ministry has to do with people. In the end, it just reduces to people, right? And you can do lots of media stuff and everything, but in the end, it comes down to something very simple, right? Taking care of people. So if you want to know where your ministry is, your calling is, it's around taking care of people, regardless of where, and you don't have to be in church to do that either. Right. Key number three, this is the last thing, to fulfill fill your destiny is to stop comparing yourself to others, <laughs> as Peter did with John. So he gets this news, Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And uh, he looks over, and says, "What about this guy? <laughs> Man, looking around at people and what they have, or what they're doing, or how great they do whatever, it disqualifies you. It distracts you from your unique destiny. You have something that you do. Don't let whatever pe- another person's success or failure, and it can go either way. Yeah, I knew a guy." You know, and he tried to do that, that healing stuff, and it just damaged the whole church and split the whole thing in two. Oh, great, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't know, you know. Or whatever it is. I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know. You knew a guy. You know a person. Who didn't get healed of that when they prayed, or you know, a person, or who's better at this than you? And why would I? Why would we just use this person? I'll just bring them to this person, right? But maybe you can't bring them to this person. It distracts you from your destiny, and especially, you know, he's giving him this news, and he's feeling bad because he's the guy that denied Jesus three times. And there's John, right? And we think, well, we're just nobody, and this guy's everything. He's so successful, but it distracts. Jesus <clears throat> says, we could just read what Jesus you know, as, as we see these verses unfold here in these uh, 20 to 23. It's so typical of us. Peter turned and saw the disciple. I mean, he's given him all this stuff, all this stuff about his destiny. Take care of my sheep, take care of my sheep, take care of my sheep. He says it three times. Did you hear that, Peter? Take care of my sheep. Then he goes, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, What about him? <laughs> so he's thinking about this whole thing that unfolded. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You. You follow me. You. You follow me. So our destiny is, we got to get our eyes off other people. The other person who has the glorious marriage. The other person who... Seems to speak really eloquently. The other person who seems to be this roaring evangelist. The other person who, who plays their instruments so amazingly, I, I probably should never play mine. The other person is so amazingly blessed at business, but how could I affect somebody with my little business? The other person, the other person, the other person. Stop with the other person because <laughs> it's getting in the way of your destiny. <laughs> you only have one life to live and live it to the Lord. So these three keys are absolutely critical. God shapes us. No, you don't even have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, do I have this spiritual gift or that spiritual gift? I find that people that dwell too much on what spiritual gift they have, they they spend most of their time trying to figure out what spiritual gift they have and almost no time figuring out how they're going to release it. Right? (laughs) You notice that? Have you ever done that? They go, Oh, and I finally figure out, like, what my gifts are. Then I'll do it. You know, find it in the process of life because these are three steps are are, are critical. We, we let the compassion of God come on us in the deepest failures and then that compassion we use for other people. We understand that what am I going to do, it's going to involve people, so let me see where are the people are around. Where are the weak people around me? Maybe I should just help them, right? And third thing is... Stop comparing yourself to everybody else and how great they are or not great. Even if we have great people around here, they're just to equip you to do this stuff. Even if we have this healing meeting on a Saturday uh, or whatever we do or a prophetic meeting or whatever it is, the whole thing is you do it. That's the whole thing. We're all trained around here. This is what we want. We like our larger meetings, but we like it better when you learn to do it. That's you. That's your destiny. Can you imagine a whole church that's thinking this way? You can't stop them because... We're gonna pop up everywhere. We'll pop in the highest mansions and the best the highest businesses and the most amazing business places down to the lowest slum. We will be there. All of us, right? Amen. God bless you. Let's all stand. Hmm. I think we did a little damage to the kingdom of darkness here today. (laughs) So I'm just going to pray and and we'll dismiss, but I want to just pray this uh, really important prayer because I think in light of COVID and all the weakness and stuff we've been through. Do you get it yet, guys? The COVID thing happened. Not a nice thing. But in our weakness... We're on. This is our time. This is what we remain for. This is what we do. Tragedies happen to the rest of the world, and guess what we get to do? We step in there with a word of encouragement, a word of faith, or whatever, a family that needs healing and a touch, needs comfort, whatever it is. There's so much tragedy and so much junk going on around the world. I just think this is a time, if there never was a time, for God to release His church into their destiny. That's all of your lives, all of your families. People are questioning. They're unsure of themselves. They're insecure. They're all afraid. What a great time! Yeah. Say, so, you know, I've been afraid before. You know, I've had that happen. You know, I, you know, I don't know. You know, just this is what happened to me, and this is what Jesus did for me. I'm praying that that'll be reproduced over and over again throughout the church of the whole world that little scenario, over and over again. And we're going to see one of the mightiest moves of God we've ever seen, if we can just embrace that. We're on. Jesus is on, yes. The Antichrist is not on. (laughs) And if he is, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, these cosmic things that we get involved with and all up there, look, the person next to you is what this is about. And I would like to know this and that about the government just as much as the next guy, but it's not going to distract me from the main event. The main event is your destiny working out in the lives of the people around you. That's the main event. And the church around the world the same. So Lord, I just pray for our destinies right now, in Jesus' name. I pray, God, you remind people of these words and these scriptures. In my weakness, I'm strong. I have something to give because I've received compassion from God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that's the only reason why I can do it. That everybody plays, everybody has ability, and everybody has destiny. Not just for a few special people who are up in public or gifted, it's all of us, all together. We are the body of Christ. I just pray that anointing would settle on us. I pray it would be a source of joy for us. I pray, God, that you would remind us, and I pray we would see great things happen. And I pray, God, we would live this beautiful life as we turn to those around us of destiny and purpose. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you all.